the, the songs and uh, the scripture that uh, Gerald chose this morning certain were, certainly were complementary to the, the text that I've chosen uh, to speak from this morning. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians 1. Thankful we can all be together today and I want to commend this group, the chorus, for uh, coming out early <laughs> so you can join us in this part of the service, too. And we have other visitors here. You're, everyone is most welcome. Glad you're all here. Second Thessalonians 1. Um, the short title for the sermon I have is Glory, the Glory of Jesus Christ. The long title is Excluded from or Participating in the Glory of Jesus Christ. And the, uh, the mid-length title I have is Participating in the Glory of Jesus Christ, which I want all of us to be participators in the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wrote two letters to the, the church at Thessalonica, and they're both well known for their many references to the parousia. You can tell that's not really a part of my vocabulary, so don't be impressed. But parousia means the, sec the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you'll, in reading commentaries, you'll often uh, notice that word. The parousia is the personal, visible, glorious return of Jesus. When Jesus returns in all his majesty and splendor, and glory and magnificence, uh, we will be amazed at the glory of Jesus Christ when he returns. John Stott uh, wrote, The parousia will be no paltry sideshow. It will be an event of awe-inspiring cosmic splendor. We sang about it. Gerald read about it this morning. What is this glory? Verse 7 and 8 in this text, as we'll read it in a minute, and I want you to notice, verses 7 and 8 uh, say that Jesus shall be revealed with mighty angels and with flaming fire. And this is a description of, of what will be visible to us then. We don't we read about it some in the Bible, and, but uh, it'll be visible then. Uh, the glory we, we'll be able to see and hear and touch the visible glory of Christ. As amazing as that will be, that's just a part of his glory. Jesus' glory includes the perfection of his person and his character uh, and his works, his, one, his wonderful goodness, his unfailing compassion, his generous forgiveness, his almighty power, his infinite wisdom, his unlimited knowledge, his absolute holiness, his plenteous mercy, his righteous just, justice, his superabundant grace, all this and much more, the glory of Jesus Christ, our glorious Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure this morning the Heritage Chorus will sing about our glorious Heavenly Father and our glorious Savior. And so... 
We want to glorify him uh, this morning as we worship him. We as Christian people must give him glory, give him our praise, our worship, our adoration, our admiration, our devotion. Today's text says we must glorify him by reflecting in our character and in our living, reflecting his character and his life. And the scripture also says that when we when Jesus comes in his glory, then we will also share uh, in his glory, including our bodies. We'll have glorified bodies like his. Okay, let's read. I will read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 and just ask you to, to watch for the word glory or some form of the word glory or where it's implied in this, in this scripture. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, in God, our Father, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you aboundeth toward each other so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you that are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of his calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of, God, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this letter <clears throat> begins with a, a prayer for blessing and peace, bless, a blessing of peace and grace from, the, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in verse 1 it describes Christians as being in our Heavenly Father and in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege and what a lofty position that puts us in as Christians to be in our Heavenly Father. That means he's chosen us to be his children. And, and in our Lord Jesus Christ, he has saved us. So we're embraced by the Father's love, 
chosen to be his child, saved by Jesus' precious death, and living the life that flows from him. Our Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, give us his grace. That's the source of every blessing that we need for ourselves, that we that our friends need and everyone else needs grace from God. And our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ, give us peace, that is, peace with him. We, once we were strangers and far from him and under his wrath, now we are at peace with him. And he gives us peace of heart and mind, gives us peace with others. He gives us peace even in a troubled world where we live in, under the tension of sin and evil around us. Now in verses 3 and 4, Paul is thanking God for the uh, Thessalonian Christians for their growing faith and their increasing love and their perseverance through their trials and persecutions. Paul is praising God that he is glorifying God for the faith and love and perseverance of the Christians. And it also says that he is boasting to the other churches, or he's, he's glorifying God by inspiring the other churches with the, the churches with the testimony of the, the Christians uh, of their their faith and their love and their patience, their perseverance. So, when we thank God for the good character and the good works of other Christians, we're, we're, we bring glory to God. And when we talk, about, talk to other people about the good works and good character and good deeds of other Christians, we bring glory to God. Notice uh, these folks at uh, Thessalonica had, had a remarkable testimony. Notice their faith, verse 3, it was growing exceedingly, your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Not just a few were loving, the whole community was exercising love, and each individual was giving love to all the rest. Now, back in the, when when Paul had written the first letter, uh, he talked about how he was concerned about their faith and their love. He sa he said, "I was afraid in some way that the tempter might have tempted you," but then he goes on in that letter to say that he was relieved when Timothy came from Thessalonica and gave the the good report of their faith and their love. But he still prayed for them. He said, um, quoting from the first letter, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow to each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your heart. That's First Thessalonians 3. So now God had answered and was answering Paul's prayer for those Christians. And now he was thanking, praising, glorifying God for their faith and love and perseverance. 
Now, we should pray for ourselves, and we should pray for each other, that our faith would grow, grow strong and vigorous like theirs did, and that our love would increase and overflow uh, for each, to each other and for everyone else, overflow to everyone else. Now, I'm thankful for the faith that I see that's evident and I sense in this church. And I praise God for the love I feel and see in this church. Let's pray uh, for more growth, that our faith and love would increase and abound more and more and more uh, for the glory of God, who is love, and for the glory of God, who is always faithful. Now, verse 5 is a very, very interesting verse. Let's notice it. It says that these things, their, their increasing faith and love and perseverance, uh, are a manifest, manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which ye also suffer. Now, I understand this verse to mean that the, the increasing faith and love and perseverance, well, the, the NIV Bible says this way, all these, all these things, their love, faith, and perseverance, uh, is evidence that God's judgment and allowing the persecution and trial is right and good. I'm paraphrasing a bit, I think, on that. All this, that is their love, faith, and perseverance that has resulted from their trials, is an evidence that God's judgment in allowing them is right and good. Now, we may first feel like when we face trials that it... Uh, Seems like God is not right and not fair in allowing the trials. But here it says that the trials that God allows in our lives are his righteous judgment to bring us to perfection in order that we'll be worthy to be in his kingdom. So God allows the trials. I don't, don't always know if we should say he plans them, allows them, or... What, what is quite correct, uh, the way to say it. But God brings the trials, allows the trials in life, and that, then he gives his grace and help to those who are suffering under the trials. And the, the sufferers respond in faith to God during the trials. And this that response of faith results in a rapid growth in faith, love, and perseverance, proving that God is uh, right and just. He's fitting his children for his kingdom. But rest is coming. The trials don't keep on forever. The persecutions and trials will end. Verse 7 says that there will be a rest that comes when Jesus returns. And this rest means relief. Relief. Release from tension, and the idea is, is like the slackening of a bowspring. You know, you guys, some of you hunt, and the, the bow is taut, taut, and uh, 
But when, when you take loose the string, it, is, it goes slack and relaxes. That's kind of the idea here. The trials are rear, real. They're a part of the righteous God's plan for us. But uh, we can experience peace even in trials. But when Jesus comes back, we'll experience a wonderful rest from all the troubles of this world. We'll be released from these troubles. Jesus in his return will bring rest for the weary. He'll bring freedom for the captives. He'll bring release, release from sorrow, suffering, and pain. He'll be, bring relaxation from toil. He'll bring quietness from the noise and peace from the turmoil. When Jesus returns, he'll bring us rest. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, there, uh, there is a rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. Job said, the time will come when the wicked will cease to trouble and everyone and the weary ones will rest. God is just and right in taking Christians through the trials. But God, uh, and he does that to bring his, his, his children to perfection into Christ-likeness. But he will bring uh, rest in the end. God is also just and right in punishing the persecutors. That's verse 6. And then verse 7 says that when, when Jesus is revealed, uh, he will bring, a, a, verse 8, a flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. When Jesus is revealed, when Jesus returned with his, in his glory, in his mighty power, with mighty angels, with and with blazing fire, he will bring relief for the Christians, and he'll bring punishment on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will punish those who know not God and obey not the gospel. That means that, that those who are, are, are guilty of neglecting the opportunity they have to know God, and those who spurn and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, God will bring them to puni punishment. God will bring punishment on the persecutors. God alone has the right to punish. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, this is not a reckless punishment, but a careful and fair justice giving exactly what is deserved. God alone has the right to punish. God's business is punishment. Our business is love, forgiveness, blessing, and prayer for those who trouble us. Now, what is this punishment that will fall on the evildoers and persecutors? Verse 9 says that they will be punished with everlasting destructions from the destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The final, hor the final horror of sin will be that it separates the sinner from God. It separates 
the center from glory, from the glory of God, from the presence of God. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that some human beings made by God, made in the image of God, made for God, made to be with God, given the opportunity to know God, neglecting and rejecting the opportunity to be saved by Jesus Christ. What a tragedy that they'll be banished from God's presence and excluded from God's glory. What a tragedy. Uh, we should grieve, and like Jesus did as he uh, looked over Jerusalem and wept, that uh, said, oh, how I would have gathered you in like a hen with his chicks. We should grieve and weep and pray and forgive and do good like Jesus taught us, taught us and gave us example and plead with our persecutors and our troublers. Pray that they will come to know God and respond to the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The other night, uh, we do a boys club here. and I, uh, The boys run usually quiet as I, I told them about some of Jesus' parables. One was the parable of the net where the fishermen hauled in the nets and then sat down to separate and keep the valuable fish and tossed away the ones that were not good. And the parable of the wheat and tares where the harvesters gather in the wheat and stored it but burned the weeds with fire. And the parable of the sheep and goats where the Son of Man, this is uh, this is. Or Jesus' words, the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him. Exactly what it's saying here in 2 Thessalonians 1. Jesus, the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him and will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered to him and he will separate the people as the shepherd would sheep and goats. The sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And those that served Jesus Christ and served him by feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty and clothing the naked and caring for the sick and visiting the prisoners, these he put on his right hand to bring them into his eternal glory. But those who did not serve him and did not, uh, did not serve him by feeding the hungry, by giving drink, drink to the thirsty, by clothing the naked, by not caring for the sick, by not visiting the prisoners, these he will put on his left hand and send them to eternal punishment, banished from God's presence and excluded from his glory. This chapter closes out with verses 11 and 12 where Paul again prays for the Thessalonians. Now when, when there's a prayer in Scripture, an inspired prayer, we can be sure that this is God's will for us. God wants, these verses say, that God wants to make us worthy of our calling as His children. 
And by his power, he wants to fill our hearts with good purposes and enable us to carry out those purposes and with good actions that are prompted by our faith in Jesus. Verse 12 says that, that our good character, our good purposes, our good actions, our good words will bring praise and glory to Jesus Christ when he returns. God is glorified when we have good character and good purposes and live good lives. And this way we glorify him. When Jesus returns, he will be glorified in his saints. He will be glorified because of who they are, of who they have become. He'll be glorified by their, and I mention these because they're in this text, by their faith and their love and their perseverance. He will be glorified in, in those who he has saved because they became like he is. And then when Jesus comes again, uh, Christians will be completed in his likeness and in his glory. But this glorification in us begins in this life. It begins now. It's not a transformation that takes place uh, there at the end when Jesus re entirely, it's not entirely reserved for the end transformation. It must begin now in this present life and it will be brought to a full end when Jesus comes. I'd like to share just a couple of verses from, um, well, 2 Corinthians 3, there's one verse. Second Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of God, Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God. Now this earlier verses had talked about how Moses veiled his face when, and the reason for veiling his face was Moses had that encounter with the presence of God and his face glowed, it was glorious because of that encounter. Uh, his face was covered so people wouldn't see, wouldn't see the fading glory. But here we with open faces, um, just beholding our glorious Jesus Christ, the, uh, the Amplified Bible says, beholding him in the word of God, uh, as we... Um, look at Jesus Christ, his, his wonderful character, his glory. We're changed into his likeness, into his image from glory to glory uh, by the Spirit of God. also give you 1 John 3, 2, where it says, we know, John is saying there, I don't know what, uh, what, what, quite what God's glory, what Jesus' glory is like, but we know that when He sh He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He as He is. Uh, then Jesus, Jesus' face will be unveiled, and we'll be able to see His His glory in its entirety, 
and we'll be like him. We'll finally and completely be like him. Even our bodies will be like his glorious body. How can I sum up these, this scripture this morning? We're children of our Heavenly Father. What a lofty uh, position we have to be a child of our Heavenly Father. We're His children because we've been saved and redeemed by our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From Him we receive His blessing of enabling grace, the blessing of His transforming grace, as he changes us in our very heart and very and our and cleanses us, cleanses cleanses out the sin, and changes us to be like Jesus in the heart, motives, purpose, love, devotion, faith. Changes us to be like Jesus Christ. From Jesus and our Father, we receive peace in a troubled world. By the grace of God, we, like the Thessalonians, can have a vigorous, growing faith and an increasing love that every, every one of us can have that kind of love for each other and for everyone. This, bring, this, this brings glory to God. This growth in Christ-likeness proves that God is using good and right judgment and allowing trials in our lives to help us grow and to perfect our character making us worthy to be citizens in his kingdoms. Our trials and troubles will not continue on forever. When Jesus returns in his glory, in mighty power, with his angels, with blazing flower, fire, he will bring relief and rest from all the turmoils and tensions of this sinful world. And in his returning, he will also punish those who ignore and neglect the opportunity to know God and who spurn and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that some people will be banished from the presence of God and excluded from his glory. The awareness of this tragedy should motivate us to love and pray for those who persecute us and trouble us, those who don't know God that they will avoid that utter ruin. When Jesus returns, he will be glorified in us. He receives praise because of who, who Christians are. He receives praise when they become just like him. This glorification is a process that begins now and will be finished later when Jesus returns. May we behold our glorious Heavenly Father. May we experience Him in His Word and by the work of the Spirit and through the trials and troubles of life. May He change us. May we have a vigorous growing faith and an abounding love for, for each other, every one of us for each other and for everyone. May we be changed from glory to glory in the likeness of Jesus Christ, all for his glory. Now, this course is going to sing about our glorious Heavenly Father and our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let's glorify him by worshiping together. Joe is going to lead a song, and uh, the ushers will lift an offering for Heritage Bible School, and then the chorus will come to sing. Thank you. <laughs> 